The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. I'm Tracy Graham. I'm the senior pastor. It's been great here and Jared bring us the word and we continue our study today through 1 Corinthians and we come to chapter 3 and we're only doing four verses, verses 1 through 4. And that's uh, very challenging for me. I'm a big picture guy, and I'd rather preach through four chapters than through four verses, but it's been a a very uh, wonderful time of study for me. Uh, And as we come to the text, the the question that we're going to think about is, what is spiritual maturity? I remember in seminary, there was a class I took called discipleship, and it was kind of, how how do you equip members? How do you disciple members? And that was probably the most perplexing question that we wrestled with is what exactly are we discipling them to? How do you know if you've reached that destination? What does spiritual maturity look like? So what is spiritual maturity? What does it look like? How do you know if you are spiritually mature? Those are the questions that come into mind as we look at this text today. Uh, Paul is, has been spinning over the, the last couple of chapters that, that we were looking at. He, he kind of launched off into this journey of spiritual versus worldly wisdom. And, and what is the difference? And he's, he's kind of addressing the problems that are going on in the church at Corinth. There's, there's biting, backbiting and devouring argumentativeness. There's jealousy. And Paul says, listen, we need to get back to the most important things. And he says that, that he, he affirms that we are a people of grace that exist to the praise of God's grace. So there shouldn't be any uh, praising of man, whether you think you're of Paul or Apollos or Cephas or, or the spiritual elite. He says that that should all go away. And, and he gets down to the basics and says, listen, you're thinking of worldly things. You're thinking like a, a natural man instead of like a spiritual person should think. And so he launched off into this uh, kind of this dissertation between the difference between worldly human wisdom and spiritual wisdom. Uh, Christian maturity is a product of God, His power working by His Spirit through His revelation, through His Word, through all that we have in the Gospel of Jesus Christ in its fullest sense. Spiritual maturity is a work of God in us by His Spirit through His Word. And it's not just a a natural thing, T-H-A-N-G is how I'm going to say that. It's a spiritual thing. And that's what Paul is saying. Listen, in the church at Corinth, what we see is they have kind of left the gospel foundation that they were initially started with, with Paul. And they have thought in their mind that they have become spiritual giants because of other things. They've kind of left the foundation and begun to build their spiritual house on other things, on eloquence, on the wisdom of man, on the the leadership personality of certain individuals. And they feel like they have become spiritual giants and it's causing a division among them. And Paul is addressing these problems and saying, hey guys, you've lost focus. You've gotten caught up in the, the worldly mindset, the natural mindset And you need to understand that that is contradictory to God's wisdom. The way to mature in Christianity, the way to mature in your faith, the way to to spiritual maturity is very counterintuitive. And that's where he goes in, in, 
in verse two, chapter 2, verses 12 through 13, just to review a bit, it kind of encapsulates it. He says, now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit is, who is from God. So he's affirming to the church in Corinth, you guys have the spirit. You're genuinely believers. You have the spirit of God. We've received the spirit of God. Why? That we might understand the things freely given us by God. So the spirit of God enables us to understand what God has given us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That we, the apostles, may impart this in words, the writing of the scriptures, the the inspired apostles, received understanding from the Spirit of God of all that we have in Christ. They recorded it for the church, imparted by words that we can read, but it's not merely human words. They were words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit of God, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So that's how we mature spiritually. People who trust in Christ are filled with the spirit of God. He gives them the mind of Christ that they may understand the things that are recorded in the scriptures. The wisdom of God that none of us would make up in our own ways. None of us would create it a gospel the way God created it. The the doctrines of God, the teachings of the faith revealed in the scriptures, all the mysteries of the heavenly places that are revealed in the scriptures. The natural mind reads and laughs and jokes and says this is foolishness and throws it away. But the spirit of God inside of his people says this is glorious. And the spirit of God empowers us to understand and to glory and to worship God as we read who he is and what he's done in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that's how spiritual maturity happens. And what we're going to see today is it's not leaving the foundation of the gospel and adding to it other things that we might grow wise and smart and intelligent and be able to construct doctrinal statements and have all these things that puff us up and make us proud and cause division. It says, no, instead of thinking that way, you need to understand that spiritual maturity is more about going deeper and deeper and deeper in to the glories of God revealed through his word by the spirit in the person and work of all that we have been given in Christ. That's how spiritual maturity happens. In fact, as we've been working on our equipping pathway, we've laid out steps. The interesting thing I've learned over the years that we've been thinking and working on developing those things is my natural tendency is to think linear. Okay, first a new believer needs this class and then this class and then this class and then we reach to second level, this class, this class, this class and then they're mature. And what I've learned is it's more like, okay, there's, three, and and you can break it however you want, but the way we've kind of done, there's three aspects of Christian thinking and understanding in the gospel that we need to work on. And the first section is foundational, but then the cohorts, it's not new material. It's the same material, but it's deeper. And then the next level is even deeper. And you will never sound the depths of the glories of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ. 
And that's what we're doing here or trying to do by God's grace is equip you for spiritual maturity by ever deepening in the gospel word of Jesus Christ. And this is the way we, we keep this church focused and not getting caught up in the problems we see in Corinth. Lord, I ask that you would do that with us today. I ask that as we look at your word and we study your word, that the spirit of God who lives within your children, those who are trusting solely in the blood of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, that the spirit, your spirit, would open our hearts and minds and give us understanding and would empower us to obey and give us faith to believe that you would mature us as a result of our time this morning in your presence. And it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, so let's work through these four verses. First of all, chapter three, verse one. Now, just to kind of summarize, Paul has said there are, there are two types of people before this verse. There's natural people. That's the natural worldly person who doesn't have the spirit of God, who thinks the cross is foolish, doesn't get it, and doesn't want to get it. That's category one. The other category is the spiritual person, the person who God has called by the gospel to himself. He believes in Jesus Christ. The spirit of God is exploding his mind and heart into new realities that are revealed by God in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The natural person, the spiritual person. And Paul has affirmed in the verse I read, that, and you are spiritual people. And then he gets to verse one of chapter three and says, but there's a problem. You are spiritual people, verse one. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. You're not unbelievers, you're believers. I'm not saying you don't have the spirit, you have the spirit. Spirit. But the problem is, when I was with you, when I started the church, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food. Stop there. So what Paul is saying is there's a third category of person. There's the natural human who has not got the spirit of God and thinks it's all foolish. But then there's the person who is filled with the spirit of God, worships God as revealed through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And he says, that's you. I was there. I saw it. When I preached the word, I wasn't impressive. I was weak. I was tired. I was burned out. I was scared. And I just preached Christ and nothing but Christ and him crucified. And you believed because God was working. But I can't. I, but when I was with you, I couldn't teach you. I couldn't do much with you. Why? Because you were this third person. You were this third category. You were people of the flesh. So what is it mean? What does it mean to be people of flesh? Paul, this third category that Paul's created, the Greek word translated flesh, is not the same word that Paul used earlier when he said natural. Paul's not saying that there's a version of Christian who is void of the spirit. He's not saying that. He's saying something different. The natural person doesn't have the spirit. This person of flesh is someone who has the spirit, but the problem is they 
are having to be treated as if they don't have the spirit. And so it's two different words. But what helps us understand the point of his argument that kind of unfolds the text for me this last couple of weeks was the tense of the verb. He's talking past tense, referring to the time that he came to see them, the time that he initially planted the church. He preached the gospel, God saved them, and he says, it was awesome, you were called by God's grace, I'm thankful for God's grace in your life, you have the spirit, but at that time, I couldn't feed you solid food, I fed you milk because you were people of flesh. And so what we see is at that time, we kind of understand why they were people of flesh. They were new to the faith. They were not understanding what it meant to walk in the spirit. As Paul says in Romans 8, 5, he uses this flesh spirit language as well. He says, for those who live according to the flesh. So what does this mean to be people of flesh? Well, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. In contrast, those who live according to the spirit, they set their mind on the things of what? The spirit. So the people of the flesh put their mind on the things of what? And the people of the spirit put their mind on the things of the Now, what in the world does that mean? To put your mind, the easiest way that I can think about this is to to be a person of the flesh. Though you have the spirit of God, it means you are still very self-centered. It's all about self. It doesn't mean you sit around and think about your skin. It means you're thinking about yourself too much. It's all about what do I think I deserve? What do I think that I want, and what do other people think about me? It's the trinity of self, me, myself, and I. It's all about me. The people of the flesh, though they have the spirit of God, have set their mind on the things of self. It's all about what do I want in life, what, what are my dreams, what will fulfill me, what will give me what I want, what do I deserve, what do you owe me, and how wonderful do you think I am? Give me praise and give me glory. It is worship of self. It's self-centeredness. Paul says that's what it means to live in the flesh. And Paul says, notice the point here, Everyone here who claims to be in Christ and is glad that they have the Spirit of God, it is not automatic for you to transition from the things of the flesh to the things of the Spirit. You must learn to walk. You must take captive every thought and start to train your heart to think about what does Christ want? What does Christ think? How does Christ look? Instead of self, we focus on God in Christ. And this does not happen automatically. This is not something just, hey, I was a Christian 10 years ago. I'm 10 years more mature than I was when I became a Christian. That's not how it works. It's like a child. A child is born as an infant and they can't walk, and they first start to crawl, and then they, when they start to learn to walk, we call them toddlers because they're toddling, and we have to train them and teach them. The same thing is true for us in one major aspect of maturing in the faith. 
one major problem of not being able to grasp the deeper aspects of the gospel is that we are self-centered. And we must intentionally learn to change our mind and set our mind on the things of God, on the spirit, spiritual things instead of on ourself. That's what Paul tells us. He says, for those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their mind on the things of the spirit. Paul says, you're too self-centered. I could not go deeper. So again, the tense, he's talking about when he planted the church, the earliest days, they were Christians, they, took faith, they had faith in Christ, they were filled with the Spirit, but he could only do so much with them because they haven't learned to walk in the Spirit. They haven't learned to set their mind on the things of the Spirit. And this is why Paul says, continuing along the verse, he says, this is why I, he was only able to address them as infants in Christ. Now, the word infant there is interesting. He didn't say, I could only address you as children. If he said children, it would not have carried a negative connotation. It would have been like, hey, you were young and, and you were ch- children and we were able. That's what I would expect him to say. It was a little bit confusing that he used the word infant here because infant has a negative connotation. Infant is re- describing a, actions or behavior that is not fitting for their age. It's saying, you guys, I, I couldn't feed you meat or solid food because you were a bunch of babies. It's like my wife might say to me when I'm acting a little too silly, say, Tracy, you're acting like a child. She doesn't mean you have a great childlike faith. She means you're acting in a way that is not fitting for your age. And that's what Paul is saying to them. He is saying, listen, I only fed you milk because I couldn't feed you solid food because you were a bunch of babies. Now, I wondered why is he getting negative here? Because it seems like it's okay because they were new believers. You would expect them to be young in the faith. I think the commentaries are right that say that what's going on in the church is these guys think they have become spiritual giants. And there's a little sting to it here for them to say, listen, you think, you've, you think you're all that. You think you've arrived. You've got this, this whole new mindset that you said, oh, and, and some even think, and I think they're right, that they were writing back to, to Paul or word came back to Paul saying, Paul's so elementary. Paul's still talking about the gospel but we found something deeper and something better. And they think they are spiritual giants. And they're saying, forget Paul, man. He's not impressive. We found something deeper and better. And Paul's saying, wait, let's think about this. I had to talk to you like little babies. Don't think you're all that. And you need to get back to the foundation of the gospel and spiritual wisdom versus worldly wisdom. I had to treat you like infants. I had to treat you that way. Now, what happens with infants as they grow up? My kids know this a lot because anytime I I sniffed out a little bit of self in them, I would usually start doing this. And when I did that, they knew exactly what that meant. That meant this is you and you think the world's evolving around you, revolving around you. And I said, that's not how it works. We all are born thinking the world revolves around us. It's all about me, myself, and I. And a healthy human matures and grows. And a big part of that is realizing it doesn't. It's not all about me and what I want and what I think I deserve and what people think about me. 
And mature adults realize that. And the same thing has to happen spiritually. We have to grow up and realize that it's not about me. The Bible's not about me. This church is not about me. The songs aren't about me. It's about Jesus. It's about what God has done for me in Jesus Christ and for his glory. So he goes on after saying, I, after verse two, I, he goes to say, I, appropriately, I think is, is, the, uh, is the tone, appropriately at that time when I planted the church, I fed you with milk, not solid food, because you were still very much about yourself and you had not progressed along the way to learn how to be walking in the spirit as opposed to walking in the flesh. But then in the second part of verse two, we get to the heart of, of the problem as the verse, as the verb tense changes. I fed you with milk because that's where you were then. And then it keeps going in verse two, for you were not ready for it. But even now, you're still not ready for it. And there's the problem. They're stuck right where they were. In fact, They've actually gotten worse. He says, even now, you're still not ready. Reason? For you are still of the flesh. And so clearly, Paul expected them not to stay in that infantile state of spiritual immaturity, self-absorbed Christianity. He's saying, that's not normal. That's not healthy. That's not what I expected to find. And that's the problem in your church. You're not maturing. You're still self-absorbed, self-glorifying, self-focused. And that shouldn't be the case anymore. Even now, you're still not ready. For you are still of the flesh. Now, that word flesh and the flesh, the word flesh in verse 1 and this word are, are very subtly, in the Greek, there's just a little different version of the word. And in English, it's hard to see. But what he does is he says, listen, when I fed you with milk at the beginning, you were fleshy. And, and the idea, I think, is, and I understand that, you were new believers. But the problem is, you still can't take the meat of the word. Why? Because now you're fleshly. Now you have leaned into the flesh You've progressed in your fleshliness. You've gotten worse. You've gotten more self-centered, more man-centered. And I couldn't teach you because you were young. Now time has progressed and I still can't teach you. You're still self-absorbed and it's worse. Now you're exalting Paul, exalting Apollos, exalting Cephas. Have this spiritual elitism among you and it's destroying the church. And to make matters worse... You should know better. You have the spirit of God. And to make matters worse, you think that you've discovered some secret to spiritual maturity when actually what you're doing is making you worse off. It's not making you more mature. So Paul is just blown away by the fact that they think they are spiritual giants when actually they're the complete opposite and there's no excuse because yes, you do have the spirit of God but you're acting like humanistic, self-centered people. They were not ready for solid food and even now you're still not ready for solid food because you still are of the flesh. Now as evidence for this, Paul 
points to their behavior. He points to what's characteristic, the fruit of their behavior or the fruit of their self-centeredness, the fruit of their, of their fleshliness. He shows in second part of verse three, he says, while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh? Are you not behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, well, I follow Apollos, are you not, listen to these words, are you not being merely human? Merely human. When you took on Christ, you took on God. You were filled with the Spirit of God, and there is no way you should act like a mere human anymore. Because you have the spirit of the divine creator of the universe living within you. And so your mind should be radically different. And the fruit of a church that is spiritually immature, the fruit of a church that is self-absorbed, I, I can tell you, I'll know. I may not talk to you every day. I may not know the deep inside thoughts of your heart, but I can tell you, if you get spirit, if you get fleshly, I can tell you if you get self-centered, if this church becomes characterized by a self-absorption, self-centeredness, I'll start hearing about it in our staff meeting, in our elder meeting, as we start talking to the community group leaders, we'll start hearing about jealousy and strife and division and anger because that's the fruit. You can't hide it long. If the root's bad, the fruit will be bad. If the root is self-centered, if the root of your heart is what do I want, what do I deserve, what do people think about me, then what do you think is going to happen? You're going to start getting argumentative. You're going to start getting jealous. I'm not getting what I deserve. They didn't do this for me. They did this for them. Oh, the leader doesn't do this. I think they should do this. I think groups should be done this way. I think the leader should have said this. I think this person should have come. I think this person should have not gone. I think they should give me more credit for what I'm saying. I don't think they listened to my prayer request. I don't think this. I don't think that. I, 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 me, myself, and I, and we will hear about it. If the root is in self, the fruit will be sinful. But if to the extent that the root starts to be implanted in the glories of God. What does God want? What does God think? What does God deserve? How does this affect the glory of God? Then the fruit will be much different. Galatians 5.19 says the work of the flesh is evident. It'll be clear. Sexual immorality. You start hearing about that in the church, you know there's a problem in the heart. Impurity sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, and divisions. How can a church of believers filled with the Spirit of God be described like that? And how too often it is. It's because they haven't had the mind shift from self-centeredness to Christ-centeredness. But those who have, this is what describes the person who is Christ-centered, 
who is walking in the spirit of God, who is setting their mind on the things of God and what God says and reveals through his word. And the spirit of God is giving them a heart that treasures those truths and realities. This is the fruit of that person, the fruit of the spirit is the opposite of those other things. Instead of anger and strife, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Hear me, that's fruit. That's fruit. That's not white knuckle discipline. That's the fruit that as I study the word, as the spirit of God reveals these glories to me about who God is and what he's done and what he's given you in Christ, and that it's all about grace, it's all about his forgiveness, it's all about what he's done for you that you don't deserve. It changes who you are. And you start to have love as you realize the love that God has for you, unconditional love in Christ. And you start to have peace as you see that God has made peace with you through Christ. As you discover and the spirit of God gives you affections for the glories of God in Christ, it changes who you are and it transforms you. And that's the process of spiritual maturity. It's not absence of the word, absent of the word. It's not absent of doctrine, but it's much different than adding knowledge that puffs up and makes you prideful. Too many times churches think, okay, I'm gonna build an equipping process and it starts with the gospel. Okay, you understand you're saved by Jesus? Yeah, okay, now let's get really smart in the word. Let's memorize Bible verses. Let's get doctrine real clear and let's get real technically accurate. And then let's make sure we can articulate that and argue that and convince people of that. And let's go convince people of that. And let me tell you what that produces. That produces a dead, mean-spirited, judgmental, puffed up, angry church that is dead. And the irony of it is they think they are spiritual giants. And you walk into that church and you're like, what? There's nothing but biting and devouring and jealousy and judgmentalism in here. And I don't want anything to do with it. And that is not the spirit of God. But spiritual maturity that is of God It's not absent of the word. It comes through the word and it comes through diligent study of the word and studying the doctrines and memorizing all those same activities. But it comes from the spirit of God uses that to bring about a broken heart and a contrite spirit. And it's humbling. And it's going, it's like, to me, it's like the more you know about Christ and the deeper you go in the word of what God has done, the lower and lower and lower you go. The more humble you become and the more you realize, I am nothing apart from the grace of God. I have been forgiven so much and that produces forgiveness in the body. I have been loved unconditionally and that begins to produce within me a love for others in the body. And I have had such mercy that it makes me merciful. And so God transforms his people as we by the spirit grasp what he has done in Christ for us. And we are, it affects our emotions as our affections are 
are quickened to realize, oh God, I love you. I am so thankful for what you've done. And you can walk in this place. And I praise God. I hear it all the time. There is something about this church. And that's what it is. It's the glory of the grace of God transforming people's lives. And we are far from perfect. Don't hear me say that. Far from perfect, but we are on the right path. And if, if, if you haven't experienced that, it's a glorious place to live. It's a glorious place to serve. I love serving this church. I love you. It is such a wonderful place to, to feel the love of Christ and to have people focused on knowing Christ and living that out in their lives. It's the way God designed it. And I, I give God all the glory, but I want to thank you for that. So we must not make the same tragic mistake that we saw happen in Corinth. They started out well, started out, got the gospel, got it, but then they slipped into this humanistic mindset, started looking for something better. And Paul comes back to them and says, no, 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 we don't move beyond the gospel. We go deeper in the gospel of grace. So spiritual maturity is not, and spiritual maturity is Spiritual maturity is not moving beyond the gospel, adding a bunch of head knowledge that puffs us up and leads to pride. Spiritual maturity is studying diligently, deeply the things of God revealed in his word and praying that the spirit of God convicts us of those realities, gives us understanding of those realities and inflames our heart with affections for what he's done for us. Let's just read, just get a glimpse of spiritual maturity as described in Colossians 3. There's so many passages we could go to, but let's just listen to Colossians 3, verse 10. It's spiritual maturity is putting on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Hear that continual renewing in the, in the knowledge after the image of God. In verse 11, it's learning that Christ is all and Christ is in all. It's all about Christ. In verse 12, Paul describes it this way. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, the holy ones, the beloved of God, put on compassionate hearts. You have to learn to do this. You have to intentionally do this. Put on compassionate hearts. Put on kindness. Choose with your will. I will be kind to my spouse. Choose with your will. I will put on compassion. I will train my new heart in obedience. I will not let it be my master. I will master it by the spirit of God. Put on humility. Put on meekness. Put on patience. Begin to start bearing with one another. Begin to forgive if there's anyone who has a complaint against you or you have a complaint against them, begin forgiving each other as you discover the forgiveness, the mercies, the compassion, the kindness, the patience, the forgiveness of Christ. Verse 14, above all, put on love. 
Love binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. As we are called together, let the peace of Christ rule between us. Oh, and be thankful. Rejoice always. Give thanks in all things. Be thankful as you meditate on the gospel, as you gather in community group, as you meet for coffee with a friend, as you read books that are focused on the scriptures and the gospel, as you gather in community group and talk and pray and share. This is God's way of ever deepening and deepening in the glories of God given to you through Jesus Christ. And as you study those, he transforms you. But you have a role to play. It's not automatic. You have to put these things on. You must train yourself, take captive every thought, walk in the spirit. Let the word of Christ, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. That's what we're doing right now. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything not in your own name, but in the name of the Lord Jesus and give thanks to God the Father through him. That's spiritual maturity. That's what we're trying to do. I pray that for our church. Are your roots going deeper and deeper into the glories that God reveals as you study the gospel word? Father God, I pray that you will produce that in us, Lord. I pray that you will continue to draw us deeper, deeper into your your grace. That Bible study for us, doing the word of God cohort for us, doing community group for us, biblical preaching for us, mothers meeting together for the Bible study, men gathering together to, to talk about you and how to live faithfully, that all of that is just us going deeper and deeper into the grace that you have shown us in Christ. Not adding to the gospel knowledge that puffs up, and that makes us prideful, judgmental, and arrogant. But roots going deep into your love, your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness, your patience, and your peace, so that that might be produced in our lives, in this church. All of it, not just for our enjoyment, but more importantly, to help people see how wonderful you are, how glorious you are. Lord, as we sing this song about Jesus and only Jesus, may you attune our hearts to that truth that it is all about Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.